I'm Wendy Michelle, personal trainer and nutritionist turned researcher, innovator, and precision wellness specialist. Welcome to Whole, Healthy, and Free. This podcast is all about equipping you with cutting-edge tools and information for accomplishing your health goals and becoming your best version of you. I have collectively spent over 20 years behind the scenes in clinical healthcare, in food and supplement manufacturing, in alternative medicine, and fitness marketing. What I've seen behind closed doors and experienced in real life has provided me with an education no formal textbook would dare to write about. From it all, I learned that health is much easier than it has been presented to be. People are capable of way more than they realize. And the majority of what masquerades as healthy is commonly what actually contributes to illness. I break it all down and bring it all to light for the sole purpose of giving you your power back so you can reclaim your health to live whole, healthy, and free. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another Whole, Healthy, and Free episode. And today is an episode that I've been really excited about. We've been planning this for some time, and I have with me my great friend for a lot, like, I feels like a lifetime at this point, also <laughs> business partner, um, life adventurer, like there's, I don't know if there's anything that we haven't done together, uh, Megan Nardoni, and she is um, my my business partner for Savage Snacks, which is a new product that we've just launched. And we're going to take this episode to talk through some of the exciting things about Savage, what makes Savage Snacks different, um, and also just talk through some of the the fun issues that, um, and obstacles and, you know, challenges that we went through in the process of starting this brand. So yeah, it, we're just going to kind of, we're just going to kind of riff and just chat through things. And hopefully this is helpful to people who are also looking to, to start something new, have, um, an innovative idea that they want to share, um, and scale. So this will have a little bit of something for everyone. Um, Megan, Thank you so much for joining me today. Woo! <laughs> excited <laughs> to be here. So fun. I've been so excited about this because I feel like every time we talk, we should record it. I feel like all of our conversations are um, just full of stuff that we've learned along the way. I want to go back a bit, just, you know, especially for those who haven't. Also, if you see... Um, for anybody watching the video, um, Chuck is in the house today. So, um, if you see a dog pop up, it's just, it's just Chuck. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to just go all the way back. If you haven't looked at our social media, or if you don't know the savage story, or if you don't know Megan and I personally, um, this will be a little bit of a backstory on how we even ended up at Savage Snacks. So way back. I mean, we're talking, what did we decide? It was like 15, 17 years ago or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. It was a wow. long, real long time ago. <laughs> um, we were working together in commercial insurance or an insurance agency. I was doing risk management and handling all the VIP clients. And Megan came in, um, just literally ruling everything. Um, and she was doing sales and, um, we became instant friends and we would go work out together in the mornings. And uh, we just literally hung out all the time. And then I had this bright idea to move to Nashville. And I went out to Nashville. I had this idea when I was here 
as I was working with a lot of touring musicians and seeing a certain level of um, that career, you don't necessarily have healthcare insurance. You're kind of living out of a van or, you know, some kind of, you know, bus. And I was watching these artists go on the road, get really sick, come back. And it was taking them a long time to get better um, once they got home. And I'm like, oh, they don't have to do that because, you know, if they just had this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, you know, they would be fine. So I decided to put these little kits together, but I, you know, being in insurance and as a risk manager, I knew that was one of the the biggest things that I needed to get in place. So I, of course I called Megan and I, I asked her if she would help me put some insurance together for this um, little, you know, supplement kit that I was putting together. And then long story short, she's like, yeah, I'll help with that. But like, also like, I want to do, like, how do I do Like, I want to do this kit. Like, this sounds like fun. So then it went on to like, Built like literally hand filling capsules through the process of making a prototype. And um, we made these, we had like these super cute, like burlap bags that, um, I mean, the packaging was really cute, honestly. And the concept was great, but people didn't get it, um, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of part of innovation, especially, you know, after what I've been through the last 15 years of this. Um, so anyway, we, well, we loved the product and the people who took it loved the product. It was really hard to scale and to put in the marketplace because I was using three ingredients um, that people had never heard of. <laughs> so they were like, we don't get it. And if you've listened to me for any amount of time, um, it, one of my greatest passions is like not do manipulative marketing. I didn't want to be like, oh, this is a weight loss thing, or this is going to make you whatever. And I didn't want to make any claims, even though I knew that those things were, you know, potentials. I didn't want to make any claims. So Megan and I chatted, um, you know, one spring and and we decided that maybe what we needed to do was start a brand that would be something people could understand. So we could start a product that people would get. And then once we established some kind of rapport in the marketplace, then we could roll in the journey kit, which is what we had started with. So then came protein bars because both Megan and I are very active. We have, you know, active lifestyles. We both love to work out and, you know, whatever other things that life throws at us. So um, go be happy because I thought functional bars would be really cool. There's an, a functional element to them. You know, go would have energy and B would be for calming and happy would be, well, obviously to feel good. So anyway, I ended up back in Arizona for that summer. It was the summer that my dad was sick and ended up passing away. And we came up with these protein bars that we hand wrapped. And I mean, the rest of the story essentially is also um, on our social media. So feel free to go watch that very touching um, video. <laughs> it's actually beautiful um, the, how the journey has gone. But anyway, um, I want to get to the important stuff, which is um, we now have Savage Snacks, which are still, we've maintained the go be happy because we love it. Megan has been carrying it on her license plate for the last, how many years have you had that now? Uh, six years. Yeah. She's <laughs> been just carrying the torch of go be happy on her car, knowing that we would get back to it eventually. And, um, and here we are with Savage Snacks. So we've got go be happy and their protein bites. Um, we moved even beyond the protein bars, um, making it even more fun. So that's kind of the backstory. I want Megan to chat a little bit. So Megan, do you want to talk, uh, about, I don't know, like what you love about the protein bites, you know, even just in the process of evolution, um, what makes you more excited about this particular version of all these years? 
Well, I think one of the greatest things about the bites, and it's been such a fun transition from bars to bites, you know, we used to eat bars constantly. And I feel like when we started Go Be Happy originally, it was because we couldn't find any bars that we actually wanted to eat. Either they were like, if they had the like nutrient profile that we wanted, they tasted terrible. Um, And if they tasted good, it was like ingredients that we wouldn't eat. And so we, you know, we kind of created the Go Be Happy bars out of like what we really wanted. But what's really interesting is like, as time goes on, everything gets better, right? Every, every idea becomes more polished. Every concept becomes better. And I think one of the things that we discovered was that the most frustrating part of protein bars is that you have a bar and you might spend two to four, five, whatever dollars on it. And say you just wanted a little bit of it and you just bit it off and you had half of it. And then you like try to like mangle it and wrap it back up and like make it last. And then you go back the next day and it's like hard as rock. And you're so mad because you didn't finish it. Now you want it. And it's this whole like ebb and flow. Right. And so I think what's really fun about the protein bites is that they're so portable. So I actually have one here just so people can see. Um, so they're packaged in these awesome bags that are resealable. And so what's awesome is that you can just grab a bite so that we have in our packaging specifically, we have four bites to a bag. Um, so four bites is one serving. And, you know, we did that intentionally because Wendy and I have this whole philosophy that if it's a bag, it better be a serving because it's going to go down the hatch no matter what. So it's gotta be a serving full. (laughs) So, um, each bite, you can just take one bite and then seal it back up and then it's fine. And you have three bites. And what's super interesting about the amazing formulation that you did this time and how you elevated it so much is that they're so filling. Like you literally have one or two and you're, I mean, I have grown men that will tell me, oh man, I have two for breakfast. I have two bites for breakfast. Like that's half a serving high five, dude. (laughs) And sometimes if you're like extra savage, you have two servings and that's fine because it's not that bad. But anyways, I think that the the pivot to bites was um, more out of wanting to be able to preserve them and make them last and and have them um, ongoing. So, and it's also what I have found. Um, I have two little boys, as you know, and they love to grab snacks and they love to grab bites and they'll pop them in their mouth. Like I love Lucy on the line. Like they will shove them <laughs> in. Um and they don't really do that with bars. They never really have, but they will devour a bag of bites because they think it's just more fun. So yeah. That yeah. Was a transition. Yeah, I agree. I, I really love the bites um, for so many reasons. One, I think that there's also an element of we know when people are trying to eat healthier things, it's not just that uh, they get sick of the same old stuff, but I think they also, the experience there's, we're in a society where the experience is everything. It's why people will try different restaurants knowing that they might not even like the food because it's the experience. And I feel like protein bites are, I mean, protein bars are kind of played out where it's like, I mean, how many protein bars could you possibly have? You look at the shelf and it's like, even the ones that are good, which frankly, I don't like any of them. There's not a bar on the market that I actually am like, man, I cannot wait to get my hands on one of those bars. Um, even the ones that are terrible, like that have terrible ingredients, there's not one that I like. So besides just that it's, um, you know, kind of the same ingredients, it's also people just, I think just get tired of the experience. Like they're just like, I didn't want a snack, but like, 
I don't want another protein bar. Like I don't, that's just doesn't sound good to me. So I think the, um, the part that I'm most excited about is giving people an, a different snack experience. It's something that's not just a bar. Um, and I mean, sure, if these were in bars, like they'd be really good too, but it's also the experience. And I think it, it appeals to the society as a whole, that they're actually snacking in between meals. Um, one, obviously to fuel their lifestyle, but also, you know, they just need a little something here and there, but they don't want the same, like, otherwise everybody would just eat an apple at every snack, or they would just have an avocado at every snack. It's, it's the experience that I think matters. And especially in um, a busy lifestyle, which we really designed these for, you know, which is why they're savage snacks because, and we'll have to talk about that some Megan too. It's just like that savage lifestyle where you don't know, like you don't know what the day is going to bring. And all you know is that you're probably going to have to eat at some point and decision fatigue is real. So don't waste your decision on what you're going to snack on. Like just throw these in your car. Um, but we made them for people who are just, you know, having like a busy lifestyle. They need to be able to grab something. So um, why not give them an experience? And then also three different functions. So there's three flavors, but each flavor has a function, as I explained earlier, which is nice because then you can kind of time them. So then you're getting an actual ROI on your snack where it's like, okay, if I'm going to snack it's, and I don't want an apple and I don't want an avocado uh, because one, those can be messy. I might not have a trash can. Um, but it's maybe 10 AM. Uh, I need a little energy, you know, outside. I mean, you're going to get energy from the ingredients as well, but you know, there's a little green tea extract in the go. So I'm going to have that in the morning, but then let's say afternoon is kind of wild. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like I literally need to walk to my car and just like sit and stare for a minute because that meeting was like way too much for me. Like that's maybe when it's a good time to either have a little bee or like some happy because those ingredients you know, serve a purpose for, you know, either, you know, calming you down because it has a, a lemon balm extract and, or, um, the happy has PEA, which is like the bliss chemical that's found in chocolate, you know, just by nature. So I think that the functional component being delivered in bite-sized pieces is really what everybody didn't know that they needed, but it's exactly what they need. hundred percent. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, about savage lifestyle? I think that's important because I think it's a, a the kind of the crux of the brand. Well, I think that it's, you know, it's, it ties back to like all the things that I, I think you have definitely embodied over the years in, in just your whole story, but it's really, it's really just doing the hard things. Like if you had to summarize the savage lifestyle, it's like, do the hard things and like show up and be all in. And sometimes that means being all in on rest because you're sick. Mm -hmm. Like I was, and I was in bed the last two days, like something like the savage lifestyle. It means like being all in being intentional, not compromising your health, your standards, your lifestyle for something that's not going to serve you. And um, showing up and giving it your all and not stopping and not stopping when it's hard. And like, when you're at the gym and you're like, Oh, five burpees is enough. No, 10, 10 <laughs> is where you said you were going to do, do 10 and get there. Um, and then if your partner's with you and they're at five and they're like, no, nah, five's enough. You're like, Hey, no, 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 let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get to 10, um, running that extra mile, doing that extra hard thing. Um, taking the time to have the patience to explain why you're doing the hard things to your children or all, all of those things. I think that's like the savage lifestyle for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that that is what, um, 
why that word just appealed to me so much for, you know, for several years where, you know, I had this sweatshirt that people used to make fun of me for wearing. Cause I'm, j- I'm pretty, uh, I would say pretty mellow in the sense of like, not much rattles me. Um, and, and I really truly love everybody. So it's, so I get along. So like for me to be wearing like a savage sweatshirt was funny to people, but I loved it because to me, that's what it is. It's like, um, some of the most savage things in life is, uh, you know, to not compromise because the easy thing to do, especially if you're trying to accomplish something, you're trying to accomplish something and you get to a fork in the road and then the fork in the road is like, okay, yes. Like I'm going to write you a big check so that you can accomplish your dreams, but like, you're going to have to sacrifice your integrity or you're going to have to, you know, lie a little bit. Um, or you're going to go back on the other side of that fork in the road, turn the other way, and you're going to stay true to who you are and true to the whole purpose of doing whatever you're doing in the first place is to like not be like everybody. I mean, why start something if it's already been done um, or if there's not a place to improve upon something that's already been done? So to me, the savage is that savage lifestyle is just going, no, like I know who I am. I know that this stuff matters. I know that this is something that's needed and I'm going to see it through to the end. And I'm not going to be, um, I don't know, like, like, I'm not going to be interested so much in or uh, taken by um, something that's like glimmery or shiny because it's, you know, it's sometimes when, you know, you see something that's shiny, it's usually just for distraction. It's not actually because it's truly shiny. And, um, and so to be a savage is, is to kind of go, you know what, actually, no. And really that is very rare. I've seen it personally, you know, in this, um, wow. in this whole career in the health and wellness space and, you know, health, the healthcare side and the food beverage and supplement side, there's a lot of compromising going on. And I think a lot of people get in this space because they're like, no, I want to do what's right for people. Like, I really want people to be healthy. Um, you know, I want to make a difference. And then before you know it, they're doing the same thing that they supposedly got in the industry to stop doing. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a perfect example of that. I think it's because it's hard, right? So like, I mean, we've seen it just in like in the, you know, five months of scaling this brand, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to do the right things and to do them the right way. And to have the intention of using this specific ingredient and seeing it through and, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's harder to do the right thing or to do the thing that you said you were going to do and mm-hmm. seeing that through and not stopping just because it's hard or because it's cheaper because, Hey, um, if we substitute this ingredient for this, we could increase our margin by 10% or 20% or whatever that is. I mean, we've had so many opportunities along the way to, um, exponentially decrease our costs or manufacture them this way because it's cheaper. And it's just, it's, it's that ability to say, no, like, I understand that sometimes you have to pivot and change. And if that that's fine, but if it comes down to like compromising your values or the reason, or you're in like original intent, I don't think that, I think that people just, they, they cave to the, the easy path right? Like, cause it's like, it's so much easier to do this where like, if you just stick through and stick through the hard things, um, that's where you're going to see the most value. 
Yeah. And I feel like there's not a lot of evidence of that. Right. And I think that's why people cave. I don't even think it's so much like a, like a, a poor quality of character. I just think that some people get to a certain point and they're like, this is my only option or I have to quit. And it's like, you only have to ha- like hang around Megan and I for like five minutes to know that we will literally invent a new option. We don't, it's not like if we get to that point, it's like, no, like it has to go this way. And we're going to, if we have to invent a new way to do it, then that's what we're going to do because it matters that much to me. I'm, I'm more a consumer advocate than I am anything. You know, this, the whole purpose of me being in the food industry at all, formulating at all is because I realized that there's nobody advocating for consumers in the factories. Everybody in the factories has a role and the role is not to to go, okay, well, is this going to be the healthiest option? Okay, well, what does this actually look like long-term? Have we studied those ingredients? Um, You know, those types of things aren't being thought through. Essentially, um, they're looking at what does the nutrition fact panel say? Um, You know, is it meeting the trends? Are we hitting um, like the the, the verbiage that seems to be trending right now or whatever, but they're not necessarily going, Hey, but that, that ingredient, like, that's kind of weird. Do you think that that could be hurting people? Um, that, and I'm not saying it's never been said in a, in a boardroom. I've just personally never heard it. And, and I, I just, I'm not in this industry to, you know, make a quick buck. If I was, well, I would have been out of it, you know, 14 years ago. Um, I'm in the industry because it needs to be shifted and it, and it can be shifted. Um, and speaking of the pricing, Megan, I definitely want to go back to that. I want to chat about the pricing a little bit. Um, I, this is something that you and I have talked about a lot. And especially after coming off of some of my, um, last couple of years in the industry, learning about how much, um, you know, our, if we could reduce our costs as a manufacturer, speaking from the manufacturer side, uh, that helps us because the manufacturer really doesn't make very much money. And then on the flip side, right? So you've got manufacturer over here and you've got consumer over here on the consumer side. They're like, man, this is so expensive. What can you do manufacturer way over here to make this cheaper? Will you talk about the actual process and like all the different players from manufacturer to consumer? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I always, I have so much uh, gratitude and just so much praise for any brand that's on the shelves right now, because it is a literal labor of love to get, to get a product on the shelves. It is so much work. And there's so many different layers that the consumers don't really know about. Um, So, you know, from a manufacturer's perspective, um, like for us, we're starting out smaller, we're large scale, but we're still on the smaller scale. We're definitely not up there, like with the RX bars and some of those like people that are doing larger volumes. Right. So when you're a larger company, you have what's called like economies of scale. So like you get to take advantage of better price points on raw materials and ingredients and packaging and all of the things. So just for like some context. So Um, like our bags say they cost 11 cents a piece right now. When we get into larger scale volume, our price goes down to two cents a bag. So um, when you're smaller, when you're starting out, you are buying at lower quantities. And so your price points on everything are exponentially higher than when you are at scale and your large volume and you're um, running 24 seven. 
So there's that piece of it. So you have the, you know, small scale versus large scale. So smaller brands that are just starting out, they have much higher costs than the, like the larger scale companies. And then um, within that, so once you actually get the product made, even at the smaller scale, you have different levels of distribution and different sales channels that you can sell through. So um, the first being that you can sell through your own website and do your own direct to consumer sales. And so that's one model that is really beneficial for brands because you don't have anybody taking any cuts of the product. And that's where you can really like actually make some money in the sales process. You can actually make money to be able to then scale and grow and invest it back into the company. Um, the other way you can sell is through um, like a distributor who then will sell it to a retail outlet or a grab and go or whatever market the end user is going to buy the product at. What consumers don't often know is that the distributors take a significant amount of margin from the product. I would say like nine times out of 10, the distributors are making more profit from a product than the actual manufacturer is. So they're the one that's doing all the innovation. They're the one that's doing all the back end work, all of the sweat, all of the stress, and they hand it over to somebody to make exponentially more than they are. And the consumers don't often know that, right? So like for context, like you might pay 60 to 70%, like they might be taking 60 to 70% of what you're buying that on the store shelf. So like if somebody's buying a product for $5, 60% of that is going to the distributor. And then the manufacturer still has their costs. They still have their marketing dollars. They still have their employees. They still have everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. So um you know, we often will like say, or people will say, oh, that's really expensive. But when you really break down the numbers and you kind of dial in like where the costs are really are coming from, a lot of it is a distributor or a secondary party that's taking that money. Mm-hmm. And also the, um, bless you, bless you. <laughs> um, and also the, um, the retailer, right. There's the there's the distri- distribution, you know, p- portion of the margin. And then once the distribution gets it into the retailer, then the retailer also has an additional margin that they add. So by the time the oh. final pricing, you know, is established, you've already got, you know, two people in addition to like the manufacturer's, um, you know, revenue um, that collectively make up <clears throat> that last bit of, you know, of, um, what you actually buy it for on the end, which is why sometimes it's, and we need all of it. You know, that this is not like, this is terrible and this is good. It It is the system as it currently stands. Um, but we do need all because some people just want to go to the grocery store and they, you know, they have to grab something really quick and that what's on the shelf is, is what they are going to buy. Um, and then other people are really good at going, these are my favorite things. I'm, I've been drinking one of my, I literally am on a subscription for like my favorite energy drink because I know I need, I need gurus in my house at all times. Yeah. And then, and so I buy direct because I don't want to, I don't need to go to the store and, and remember that I know that's already part of my lifestyle. So buying direct from the manufacturer is helpful to the manufacturer because then there's not that profit share. Um, you're actually supporting them directly um, in a way that's advantageous for both parties because the su- consumer gets a better price, 
point and and the manufacturer has also a more fair price for the product they're selling in order to incorporate all of the expenses that they're incurring in the process. So, um, you know, sometimes I think people don't realize that and and that's fair just because it's 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 stuff that I if I wasn't in the industry like I don't think I would care to know. I'd be like, I don't know, like I just want to get some food, like which one is the best. Yeah. But I think it, it's helpful especially in what we're trying to build, which is really, we want just transparent relationships from the manufacturer side with our consumers. We don't actually want to try to create some kind of marketing campaign around like all these promises or like, Hey, we're perfect. And, or, Hey, we're like, we just want to be like, Hey, we made you some snacks and it's, and and we actually, we want also want your feedback because we're going to always evolve. Um, and that's, that's really the goal, but knowing that that's the relationship that we are being intentional about on this side, w- you know, we have lots of friends and family and people that we've met along the way who are like, how can we best support you? And at first we're like, buy from the stores, you know, that really helps us. And at some point we might switch it up and be like, get a subscription that really helps us. Um, and those people are, are willing to pivot, you know, in a way that's the most advantageous for us, which is super sweet and kind. Mm -hmm. So I think um, just at least sharing that is helpful because maybe Savage Snacks isn't the only thing that you want to always have at your house. Maybe there's other brands. Um, Maybe there's especially brands that are, you know, smaller emerging brands that are doing, you know, in a similar stage as we are, where they're trying to grow organically, Um, support them. You know, this isn't just about Savage. This is about good food and manufacturers who want to do the right thing, support them, ask them, email them, go, Hey, how's the best way to support you guys? Like, how can I help? Um, because I also have, um, a high value for clean, transparent brands, you know, holding space on shelves. So how do I get involved? Um, and you know, outside of those reasons, I mean, it doesn't really necessarily matter too much about, um, the intricacies of the cost, but I think it's, I think, again, it's just transparent. Like, let's just talk about it, you know? Absolutely. I think, you know, and we always say like, we're transparent to a fault. And I, I say that in my day to day, I say that in all the things, like we're just very transparent people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, it's speaking from like a savage snacks perspective, like that's like who we are. Like, if you go onto our website, you can literally, we like, I think we even say, let's have a transparent conversation about our ingredients. Like mm-hmm. we talk, we break down each ingredient. Why do we use it? What is it? What is it actually, what is it actually doing for you? You know, a lot of times, um, and, and I'm me too. Like we're not, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not, I don't have the education and the research hours that you have behind you. And people don't know necessarily like why, pumpkin seed protein. Like, why is that better than pea protein? Or why is, or why do you use both? Why do you have all of these things? Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, transparency is so key in any brand in relationships in, you know, in all the things. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. And the ingredient thing too, um, they're even beyond like the benefits, like when I'm formulating, I'm thinking, through so many different things. I'm thinking through, okay, what's good. First of all, what's going to taste good. Cause if it's not going to taste good, I mean, we already lost. So what's going to taste good. Um, what's going to actually be nourishing. So not just like empty calorie snacks that like we can put some cool, you know, details about on the label, but what is actually going to give somebody energy because 
is an exchange. When you consume something, a calorie is also like AKA energy. It actually says that on the label because it is energy. Your body's supposed to take that and convert it um, through the Krebs cycle into actual energy that you can put out, you know, through your brain or your body or whatever you're doing for the day. Um, and also nourish, you know, cellular generate regeneration and on all other things that our body does for us. So I'm thinking through that stuff. Then I'm also thinking, okay, well, that's great. And if I make this out of my kitchen and somebody comes and eats it right away, cool. But if they, if I have to leave it out for a while, like it's so fresh and it's so like delectable, it's probably going to go bad. So now I have to think about how do I scale what, you know, tastes really good and turn it into a product that is going to be something somebody could throw in their gym bag for like a good amount of time. Mm -hmm. And that's where I start thinking about, you know, water activity and some of the more food scientists things that are really actually boring to probably most of the people walking around. But it's like, I have to think through that stuff, which is, you know, also one of the reasons why I use the tapioca fiber syrup, which it's, there's actually no sugar in it. You know, that's, that's not um, a, a component of the sugars but it is really helpful to bind thing with, without adding a lot of water activity. And it also happens to be like a tremendous fiber source. I was just listening to a discussion, I think yesterday or the day before about how our fiber intake should actually be two to 2.5 times as much as what is recommended. We're not eating near enough fiber as we should be eating. So, you know, those things I'm like, okay, well, I, I have to make it, you know, stable, so I can't use like this delicious, you know, syrupy stuff, you know, necessarily. Uh, but like, what are my other options? Okay. That's another, you know, that's another good option. So I'm kind of sorting through all that stuff. And I, and it's like, it's not a secret, you know, I, I mean, I guess to some brands, maybe some brands are like, well, let's, you know, let's just put it on there and, you know, they either they buy or don't. And to me, it's like, these are always, it's always an opportunity to teach people stuff because whatever they learn about like our packaging they're going to be able to like look through the stores that much better. Megan and I were just talking the other day, we were talking about how our packaging has, um, you know, like the newest uh, requirements from, you know, the FDA and labeling requirements that actually make you put on the very front, some pretty key ingredients or key numbers. And so primarily they want to see like calories per serving. They want to see fat, um, how much of it specifically is saturated. They want to see how much sodium and they also want to see how many sugars, so yeah, that's cool. Like we don't mind. We'll put that on there. But like, so like the go, we use real pineapple. Like we don't use any natural flavors in our products. So I'm using real pineapple. So you get like a real pineapple experience, but pineapple's fruit. So pineapple has some sugars in it. So this one has a higher amount of sugars than the other two, but it's literally from pineapple. And we're not allowed to, you know, put that on. <laughs> we're not be like, but don't worry guys. It's from pineapple, like we just have to do what they say. So when you're looking at those things, you also might some, see some that say like zero grams of sugar and you may, might be like, wow, zero grams of sugar. And you could just throw that in the cart and not even look on the back. How did they do that? How did they make something that has zero grams of sugar, especially if it's a pineapple something? Yeah. Well, I will tell you how they did it. They did it with a bunch of stuff that's made in a lab. So it doesn't necessarily matter that it's zero grams of sugar. It doesn't equate to healthy. And it certainly doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be good for you. Um, but the, the front will show that it is. And so I think that those conversations need to be had because it helps people make the best choices for themselves. You know, they, if, and maybe somebody is diabetic and they have to have something that has zero grams sugar. That's fine. 
you know, we get pretty close with our happy, you know, we're down around the four or five, five gram mark um, per serving with that one. But again, even the sugars that are in there are coming from date syrup. It's not the tapioca syrup. It's actually the dates. So it's still fruit. Um, there's no added sugars. Um, there's no processed sugars. There's nothing in it that um, doesn't have some nutrient component or nutrient value. So, you know, those things, I think, um, I don't know. I think that that stuff is just good to know. It helps consumers actually move through the grocery store with a little bit more confidence to not be taken advantage of, you know, and to not feel overwhelmed or confused. Um, and so why not use um, Savage as an opportunity to teach people about food collectively? At least that's, you know, part of the goal, I think. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I, I mean, anybody who buys anything Savage Snacks, like you can be assured that every ingredient is so intentional and there's so much thought behind why is that in here? And what purpose is it serving and, and how is it serving our customers and what is it really giving them? Mm-hmm. Um, or like you are so very intentional in your formulations about, you know, from like the front end, like food safety side to like, how does it taste to like, what is it really giving our customers? And I think that's so, that's so something that you can just trust when you buy a Savage Snacks product. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Is and I think that it's it's a standard. It's a standard that is where I think a lot of people do cave. Is like the standard is that we're actually going to do things that can be trusted. Like we're going to just be like, hey, let's have a real transparent conversation. If like the, our next, um, you know, couple of flavors come out or our next collection comes out, and I have to use something that's a little bit different that nobody's heard of, I'm going to explain it. <laughs> be like, here's what I did. And here's why I did it. And here's, here's what my other options were. And here's why I didn't do those. Because at the end of the day, it really is about like, what's going to be best. There's always some scenario, especially in food safety, where you, you know, you might see like malic acid on something. Well, malic acid is a, it's a stabilizer. It's a pH stabilizer. It's not necessarily like terrible, but I mean, you wouldn't put it in your homemade stuff, but like you, if you're going to have on a shelf for any amount of time, like you have to put it in there. So like just talking through those things, I think it's helpful um, at least. And um, I think from uh, the other, at least from another part of just talking about our product, I want to talk a little bit about the bites. Um, Megan, do you want to talk about like kind of the, the, um, the process of getting them in the bag and like how consumers might experience them, you know, as we evolve? And, um, you know, and, and bring out like the best versions of these products. Yeah. I mean, well, right now, I mean, we're smaller scale. And so we, um, we produce in a GMP certified facility. And so they are, they are the ones that are handling the product, which is very nice. Um, but you know, I I just won't have to show you because it's so fun. Um, (laughs) So the bites, um, they're sometimes because they're pineapple-y and they're sticky and they're delicious. They kind of stick together a little bit. So you just kind of like massage them apart <laughs> and they come out just on the ghost. It's really just on yeah. the ghost. Yeah. Um, they make you work for it. It's okay. It's just waking you up, getting your taste buds excited for what's coming. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you won't mind. You will not mind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me tell you, my four-year-old can open these bags, savage level, and devour about four bags of ghosts. That's his thing. So, and then each bite is so cute, has a little coating left over. That's like a little almond meal, a little pineapple, 
Um, and then their chewy deliciousness. I would eat it, but then I'd just be like a hot mess right now. <laughs> do that to the people. Um, the happies are so fun. I just have to show people that happies too, because yeah, everybody loves place. chocolate. Um, yes. and my seven-year-old will devour about 10 bags of these things if I let them. I had a box in my office that I was using for samples and different things. And I came in one day and they were all gone. They had eaten. <laughs> So the chocolates are like little brownie bites. And if you put them in the fridge, it's literally like browning. It's so very delicious um, and it has a beautiful little coating on the outside. So when you see each bite, you'll see that it has a coating on it. Um, and the intent behind that is to help them not stick in the bag. So when you package them in, they're coming off of an extruded line and they're rolled. And if they just go right in the bags, they could possibly stick together. And so you want them to not stick. And so we apply a specific coating that will help them to um, retain the flavor and also not stick together. So, um, and then these beautiful bags are sealed up. And what's really nice about these bags is that they're resealable. And so you can open them, close them, open them, close them. I mean, you're only going to do it so many times. If you're like mm-hmm. me, you're going to eat a whole bag in the ceiling. But, mm-hmm. but it is so nice to like, just be able to just grab a bite. Cause that really is sometimes one, all you have time for and two, all you really want, um, <clears throat> which I think helps with portion control too, for those people who, you know, are, you know, maybe struggle with that or, you know, I don't know that I, I think that there's a lot of advantages to it. And sometimes they do still stick together because, you know, there's like these little gussets in the bottom of the bags that, you know, in the process of, you know, uh, shipping or whatever, they, they, they might get to a little closer together, which means the bites get a little bit closer together. And then, you know, they run into each other and then they just hang out um, together. But all those things are, we're thinking through like all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, even like our, our first couple of batches of happy, um, they were like a little messier than we wanted, but we didn't know until we actually did some shipping tests and, and had people experience them after they'd been like thrown around a while. So we, you know, made adjustments and, and really they're so small. It doesn't do anything nutritionally. It doesn't change the ingredients. It's just more on the, you know, well, how do we finalize, how do we finish these off? And like, what kind of coating do we use and stuff like that, which all the coating is the ingredients that are already in the bite. So we're not adding anything different. We're just kind of assessing it. And that's another thing that, um, I feel like Savage really came out of the gate as another foundational component is that we know, we knew these weren't going to be off the line perfect immediately. Um, but we also knew that it was going to evolve and, and what better way to evolve a product, but along with the consumers who like it, um, are we going to, are there going to be people who get the first couple rounds and go, yeah, not for me, probably, but even a perfect batch, people are going to do that. So we just kind of decided let's let they're good. Let's roll them. Let's, and then let's evolve as evolve based on feedback. Let's evolve based on, um, you know, challenges that we come up against and let's like really create something that is truly for the consumer, um, based on their feedback. And I think that's, you know, from a startup standpoint, that's where I think people get stuck is that they want it to be so perfect and they want it to be so done well. I mean, we have changed in the packaging that we're going to be making. Um, and a lot of brands, what ends up happening is they come out maybe how they think is perfect or like the best version of it. And then what you notice over time, at least I hear this a lot from clients, that the brands actually regress 
they started out really tasting super good or their ingredients were really clean or their nutrition facts were like, looked like, you know, really low sugar. And then all of a sudden one day they look at the back and it's like, there's way more sugar than they remember. Um, we don't want to regress. We want to, uh, we want to always progress. And so, um, we knew if we just started out with a really good solid product that at least, um, checked all the boxes that we could over time, you know, really perfect these and make them really good, especially there's not a lot of protein bites on the market. And now I think Megan and I know why now because it's not easy to do. Um, but, uh, being, I think like in that category as one of the only ones, one of the only options, um, we are going to need to get some feedback. We're going to have to throw them around for a while and see, um, you know, how it all shakes out. We're going to probably figure out some point that three bites or five bites is better than four bites in a bag. I don't know, but we were aware of that. You know, we're, we're like, well, let's do this together. Let's figure this out together and just see collectively what the, you know, the consensus is on what's the best way to do these bites and what's the problem with these bites and how can we fix them? Can we fix it? You know? Do you have anything to add to that, Megan? Well, I was just going to say one of the things that, um, you know, just to give some like back end insight to the consumers is that when you are formulating a product, um, I think we are fortunate in that we both have like these years of collective experiences that have helped us to launch Savage much faster than most brands would. But say you are formulating with a specific ingredient and you really like this ingredient, um, you know, let's call it flaxseed protein. We've this, we've had a lot of challenges with this specific raw material. Um, when you're formulating with something and you really like it, you have to ensure that there's a, a set supply chain of that raw material that is to, that meets your specifications and that it's available. And you have to think through like the long term, like, well, how much can we get it? And if we grow exponentially, can we still source that same product? Because that's where I think some brands start to go backwards is that they started with a specific raw material or a specific ingredient that they really loved, but they didn't maybe think through the long term of how can we get this raw material if we source, um, if we, you know, if we scale hundred X or a thousand X in the next month, if we start, you know, going from a thousand units a day in production to 20,000 units a day in production, what does that look like? How can we source that raw material? How often can we get it? Where is it coming from? What are those economic challenges that are associated with that country that you're sourcing it from? So I think that um, thinking through that has been super beneficial to us. And I just, I don't know that the consumers necessarily understand sometimes the, not only the thought and intention of why you use a specific raw material, but also how you're sourcing it, where you're sourcing it from, and then what your supply chain stability is with that specific raw material. Yeah. And also the ability to pivot under those circumstances as well. Yeah. Which we did work through that. We were like, you know, do we do flax protein? Do we not do flax protein? Is this going to be the future? And I think that's one of the advantages of me just being a formulator is that I can be like, okay, well it's out, you know, or, oh, let's do this instead. And, um, and it's still going to taste good. And, you know, and I can make it, I can make it work, um, you know, and all that stuff, but you know, that's not necessarily the case for every brand. I mean, they do have people that are obviously putting the products together, but uh, I think a lot of food startups, what they do is they, they actually go try to find a, you know, a protein bar manufacturer who's already running protein bars. And they're like, 
can you just put this label on it for us? Like, we'll just take whatever you have. And I mean, I get it. Um, that's not my, that's not my specialty. That's not something that like I necessarily, um, am into from like a, from a food brand owner. Uh, I, I want to innovate, you know, there's too many gaps to fill. There's too much opportunity to improve the marketplace. Um, I don't want to just put my label on somebody else's stuff that already is out there and that it's contributing to what's not working. I want to create stuff that's going to set new standards. That's actually going to cause consumers to say, Hey, wait a minute. But like, if like Savage did that. So like if Savage can do that, how come, how come Savage didn't have to use natural flavors? Yeah. Well, you know, why, why are they able to do it? It, It's, it, it just starts a conversation about like, not just like, Oh, I guess everybody has to use them because it's not possible to make something taste good. No, it's possible. Um, and that's what I, you know, I want to do, but I do think that there's some people that are like, I just want to, you know, put my label on something that's already out there. Um, and, and they do that. And then the problem is like when the supply chain is disrupted or something's not available anymore, they have to rely on somebody who's not brand affiliated to reformulate. And so then it's just like, they get what they get. And then that's what goes out in the package. And then that's why sometimes consumers experience a part they really loved turning into something else at some point, because they're like, it's not the same. Um, and it's a risk, right? Like, I mean, that's what savages do, right? You take a risk, you take a risk that people we're not for everybody. Not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to care. They're going to want to have a cliff bar. That's fine. Like we still love you. You can still wear a savage hat, you know, <clears throat> you know what? And sav- and you know, the protein bites are not in the, it, you know, the end be all, you know, end all be all of savage snacks. So like, maybe there'll be a line at some point that, you know, that moves you, but this is really more about how do we not just talk? And that was my biggest challenge in doing like uh, working one-on-one and doing seminars and stuff as a holistic nutritionist is I'm teaching people, Hey, here's the best way to eat. Here's a, you know, things to watch out for. And they're like, yeah, great. I'm going to do it. And then they would go to the grocery store on Monday and they're like, yeah, I can't do it. Like everything that when he told me, like, I can't do it because, you know, there's nothing on in the market that's available based on what she just taught me. Now I'm like kind of afraid of food, which is obviously never my goal. So I realized I'm like, okay, I got to work at it from both ends. Uh, I'll work, I'll teach people one-on-one in seminars, and then I'm going to go into the industry and I'm going to shift things there. So at least that way, both sides are kind of, and then eventually the goal is enough brands on board, enough consumers with education who are like, Hey, um, I only want to buy things under these, you know, certain specifications. They start to see brands doing that. Then that causes the industry to shift in the, in the favor of the consumer, and then before you know it, I can have a seminar on Sunday and on Monday, people can go to the grocery store and be like, I can get all the things because I do still have to buy packaged goods. I do still have to live my life. I still need convenience. I can't just grow things in my backyard. Um, but now at least I know there's a couple of brands on the shelves that I'm willing to buy. And, uh, and that really is like the ultimate goal, I think for, you know, for both Megan and I is to, is to prove concept, not just to be like, Hey, we have a cool brand, but to be like, Hey, how about let's let this be like the influence. Let's let this influence, you know, the market as a whole and other brands as well that are already out there, maybe, you know, doing a different product, but they also, you know, want to get in on this whole action of, you know, influencing, um, you know, the industry as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing too, that I want to chat about just, I think from a, 
Well, one from a brand standpoint, and and this this conversation is really to to just give people a, like an inside scoop on like who we are. I think it matters. You know, people will travel great distances to have a specific chef cook for them. How, why? Because it's not just that the that you want to taste the food. It's that you want to know who's cooking it. And so here we are. We're the ones making your snacks. Um, but um, just also in, um, you know, why we were able to to launch this is, as, I mean, from our standpoint, this has been years in process, but this one particular, like when we got like on the Savage train and we're like, okay, these are going to be protein bites. The process was like super quick, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't without a lot of seed sowing prior to that. And um, so I think there's a, a way that we've inadvertently established Megan and her specialty and, and her expertise and, and her industries and mine, likewise, um, of, of sowing, you know, sowing seeds over time with obviously not even knowing, like we didn't know that Savage was down the road, but, um, you know, just how the networking, how Megan and I have just naturally done relationships over the years, um, has really been beneficial in this process of getting Savage off the ground. Wouldn't you say, Megan? Absolutely. Well, I feel like, you know, like we do networking, but like we really do people, you mm-hmm. know? And and if I think about like, you know, I'm in my day-to-day is sales and and I'm I'm in packaging and sales and and I've always just grown my own business by helping others. And I know like you give like literally endlessly to people, like that is so your heart. Um, so I think like networking is been such a key part of our journey specifically. And I've always, I've always um, given as, you know, as much as I can to people, or if I'm able to connect people, I always love to do that because I know that it, it always comes back around. Um, and it's been such an interesting, uh, it's been such an interesting perspective for me to see it all kind of come full circle for us in Savage and in, in how fast we were able to put together how we were going to do like the, you know, like we had the engineering plans done in three days for Savage. Like, okay, here's the three things that you need to launch a brand. Okay. Well, we had that like knocked out in three days because of the network that we had built because of the people that we had um, invested into and and helped along the way. Um, So I think that there's so much value, especially for brands that are just starting out and, and just people in like in your day-to-day lives, like instead of looking at like being extractive and like, how can I get out of this person? And what can I get from this person? Like take the step back and say like, well, how can I help you? And what, what do you need? Or how, what introductions can I make? Or, you know, and I, I think like, if you have a small brand specifically, that's just starting, like there's so much, like help them, give them a like on Instagram, comment on their product, share it because there's so much value in that for those small brands. And if you, um, if you're in the startup mode, like think about maybe how you can help others. And I swear it all comes back around. It's the weirdest karma ever. And it's so wonderful, but um, specifically how it played out for us in Savage is, um, you know, between our networks and in your like formulation, you had already reformulated, and we we kind of had this conversation like, hey, we need to really like do this. Like, this is going well. We need to like do this. We need to take this from a kitchen to large scale, and we were able to 
I was able to lean on a friend that I had helped throughout the years. And I had said, Hey, what kind of equipment would we need? I just asked a question. I said, Hey, what kind of equipment would we need? And he happened to say, well, I know exactly what you need. And this is what you need. And this is where you can put the equipment and this is how you do it. And we had a roadmap and then we had, we had it all put together in about you know, three days, literally. Mm -hmm. And then from there started the real back end work. And there's so much there, but the bones of Savage in actual producing a product came about in three days because of networks and relationships and people that we had kind of poured into over the years. And so I think for brands starting out or just people in general, just pour back into others. And I swear it comes all back around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think um, the right people too, right? Like, which potentially is a, even a separate conversation, but mm-hmm. like pour out regard, like it's, it should be unconditional, like the serving of other people, the serving of communities, the ser- serving of like, you know, your neighborhood, like that should just be, that's just, that's actually health advice. You know, there's nothing like, um, giving of oneself, like whatever talents or gifts, whether it's time or money or a connection, um, I actually say, I mean, this is kind of a funny story, but like, it's not really funny because it's actually very cool. But I, years and years ago, I, I, I said a prayer. I was like, God, whenever I give something, would you cause me to forget? Like, cause I don't want to, I don't want to remember and I don't want to keep score. And it was a long time ago. And I swear, I absolutely truly forget. Some people will text me. Thank you. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, I, I really actually do not know. And it's so awesome because then you, there's not an accidental condition on your giving. So that's one conversation. Uh, Then there's like, also like, as you do start to grow things and you do start to inquire of people, um, especially when you're looking for support, integrity is key. Looking for people who have over the the period of time that you've known them or just, you know, watching them in day to day, um, you want people around you that have integrity that are going to, you know, actually do what they say that they're, you know, they're trustworthy. Um, you know, that type of stuff that I think has been one of the biggest blessings about Savage moving as quickly as it has, as well as the people are just full of integrity. They, they are truly loyal. They, they, they're not just talking about big ideas and then they just don't show up when it's time to actually like execute a big idea. They're like, when are you, when are, when are you going to let me know it's time to execute this idea? It's yeah. like, are you joking? I mean, like I, we both were like, okay, really? <laughs> I mean, okay. Like, cause we've got to this point so many other times, you know, individually, but also collectively, like on other projects we've worked on where we hear people being like, oh yeah, we want to help. Like, oh yeah, this is great. Like, oh yeah, we want to. And you know, and Megan knows how I feel about all that stuff. Um, One thing just real quick. I just yeah. want to say like, I also feel like there's the element of the people who are doing things the right way, who are doing the hard things. You see that in somebody else who's doing the right things, the hard things, who's like Mm -hmm. grinding, who puts in the work that are not compromising and stepping on others just to do better or be better or take more. Like people Mm -hmm. recognize and see, oh yeah, like they're doing the hard things. Oh yeah. They're showing up. I mean, like it's, it's so crazy how people like you gravitate towards the people that are doing the hard things. Like when you're in the middle of the hard things that just suck, that you just keep doing. Cause you know, like you have your reason why you're doing it. When you see somebody else on that path, you're like, Oh yeah, 
they're doing that too. They're doing the hard things too. They're doing the right thing. So I think, you know, sometimes integrity, it's, it's definitely a, a key part of that, but you can also like side by side of that, look at like, Oh, do they have integrity? Are they doing the hard things that maybe like they could find an easier path or hurt somebody or cheat somebody or do something? All right. Those are the people that you want to like stay in alignment with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it's, it's rare. <clears throat> I mean, it, but it's, it's again, it's part of building out a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. You know, you actually can do really good business with really good people and have really transparent conversations and really create products and brands that, you know, don't fit the molds and be mm-hmm. successful at it. I mean, look, we're at the beginning stages. We just launched a couple of weeks ago. Like, what are we like four or five weeks in something yeah. like that? So all that stuff, you know, I mean, it's even a risk to have these conversations at this stage of the game, right? Like oh we're, we're still figuring it all out, but it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I think these conversations are valuable um, and we will be successful. There's going to be success. I mean, just getting something on a shelf is so successful. Um, but yeah, I think that it, it's something that is, is hard to find. It's hard to find people who are doing the hard things without compromising, but man, those are the best people to partner with because, you know, that's where real change happens. Like if you actually want to see change, if there's actual things, you know, in whatever industry you're in, whatever, um, you know, mission you're on, where you're on that mission, because you have a passion for something to be different and you believe that something can be different. Then, then lining up with people who are willing to like stare down that giant with you mm-hmm. is the only way you're going to change anything. Cause otherwise, you know, you're going to be standing there either alone, you know, um, which is fine. You can take that on the giant by yourself too, but you know, it's even better. It's better when you have a team of people it's faster. So, um, I think that's a, that's a key element that I don't think I've heard a lot of people really talk about. I would have liked that advice a long time ago. <laughs> I liked that advice, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's something that's, that's been huge. And that's also, I think Megan, um, you know, to your credit where a lot of even like your, the people that you've been working with some colleagues of yours over time, they were watching you do like they, it wasn't just that you were talking about something. You're like, I had this idea. Like you were out doing, you were like, here's some savage snacks. You got to try these, you know, these are protein bites, you know, um, you know, filling in some gaps, you know, in a time that was like really challenging for you guys. And it was in that space where people watched you do it and they were watching you do it before there was any promises of anything. You were like, no, like, this is what I'm doing. Um, And I think that was the, another key component because some people just are like, I have this idea on paper. I got a business plan. And then they go around, they're like, here's my business plan. And then they like, wait until somebody is ready to write a check for them for their business plan. We had no business plan. We had a formulation, you know? And then there was a need and you were meeting a need and then it became a business plan. And so I feel like sometimes that is also um, uh, like almost like a bottleneck for people who are in that startup phase. They're like, I got a business plan. Like, no, just like start doing it at whatever level you have the capacity to do. Just start doing it and then, and then, you know, let it evolve with you. Adaptability, like adaptability quotient, I can't say enough about. You got to be able to, yes, like intellectual Yes, let's all be intellectual and, you know, emotional intelligence, very key, but adaptability in like this space or any space um, that you're innovating in, look, things are just not going to work. It's probably, you're probably going to hit a bunch of road, road marks where people hit as well. And then they're like, I can't like that. Yep. 
that, yeah, I see why it's never been done before. I guess I can't do it. Um, in order to surpass those marks and actually get something like to where like the rubber meets the road, uh, you do have to have adaptability. And that's something that I feel like Megan and I just do that. I think we just naturally have that, but like through the course of our lives, that's, you know, it has definitely been a skill that's been honed because of what we individually do is like, we're like, oh, okay, well then, so we'll let's do bites, you know? Oh, okay. Well then let's, you know, do this or whatever. And it's just, I think that's key is the adaptability. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Well, I think also just, just action too. Like, I think one of my favorite like stories from our scaling up process in the manufacturing facility, which is an entire process um, for the consumers on the back end. I mean, just scaling a product. So taking a product from, um, you know, your kitchen that you're making and then scaling into large scale batches in a facility is a feat in itself. And it's a, normally a lengthy, long process. We were very fortunate that <laughs> you're such a, a, an amazing formulator. So typically like scale ups can take weeks for companies and we somehow nailed it in like years, two, sometimes literally. years. Yeah. Sometimes years, <laughs> literally two days we had this thing scaled up. And so the formulation was scaled and then we had this brand new equipment that we had just bought and we go to put the, the mix into the extruder and it's just not working. I mean, there was every single thing about this extrusion process that was not working. There was dough coming out everywhere. It was not the right shape. It was not. And we were, I, my favorite moment was we were in the room and there's like 10 of the workers and all of the supervisors and everybody standing around and like just watching this mess unfold. <laughs> and you just grabbed a bag and you just started like packaging the bites and you just started going. And it was the coolest thing because then it was like, it was like permission for everybody just to like take action because then all of the workers that were just standing around watching <laughs> horror as this was not working, they just started putting bites in the bags. And it's just that simple. And, and I can this one more like extra like insight and piece of advice. This is more like life advice. But <laughs> I remember at one point, everything was literally going wrong with our equipment and manufacturing and source. I mean, like we had a point where it was all going wrong. And I was sitting just with a blank stare at my desk, like for a second. And my husband goes, Megan, it's simple. Just put four bites in a bag. It's just <laughs> in the bag. And that was like the best action. I was like, you're correct. I just, <laughs> I just need to like, just go. And once you start mm -hmm. going, I think people get like frozen, like deer in the headlights, like, mm -hmm. oh, it's not working. This isn't what I thought it was going to look like. This isn't, this isn't it. You know, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And this yeah. wasn't my plan. Um, but you just get at, just start going. You just yeah. start going. And then it all works itself out. But mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite moments of the, the scale up. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, and I think that that is because there was multiple challenges for us, right? It was, and not, I don't even know. I've seen some challenges. I feel like a lot of this was actually very normal, which is, I think I kept telling you, this is normal. Yeah. This is actually, this is going really, really well. Um, you know, don't be dismayed. We're in a good spot. <clears throat> but I think that the other thing, um, is that like, it's, it's never going to go according to plan. So if, if you're really like white knuckling, like it has to be, um, <laughs> it, you just, just, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe, maybe innovation or startup isn't for you because it's not going to go. And it's, and it really, 
it's like it steals some of the joy of the process to be so tightly wound up for it to happen a specific way because it's just not and I'm not saying that like that you compromise not at all I'm talking about like the 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 things that don't really actually at the end of the day mean much like okay like the first time we were coding it with just cacao right the 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 happy and then in the in the bags like people ended up with like chocolate fingers. Could you imagine somebody like typing and like <laughs> grabbing a happy and then like type <clears throat> like a huge mess. So, um, but it's like, okay, so like, we're going to fix that, you know, like being able to adjust and to move. And I mean, really at the very beginning of these bites, we were rolling them in chocolate chips because when we were doing them in the kitchen, they were a lot stickier, but that doesn't translate in the factory. You can't have something so sticky like that for multiple reasons, but the main one was water activity. So we knew that they're not going to hold the chocolate chips. So what do we put on the outside now? We tried multiple things. Um, if we had been like, it has to have chocolate chips on the outside, like there would be no happy today. Um, and I think that is really, you just kind of go, okay, hey, these, these, these protein bites are coming out of the extruder. And um, they're not perfect balls. And it's a good thing. We were going to actually call them amaze balls. Um, <clears throat> and we um, we actually, that was like, because somebody said these are amaze balls. And Megan was like, it's a thing. We got to call them that. And turns out somebody had already like, had trademarked that or something. So we're like, let's make them amaze bites. You know, that's fine. Amaze, my, amaze bites is cool too. Yeah. Well, when they started coming out, like not exact spherical balls, I'm like, see, it's a good thing we're not amaze balls because now we would really have to worry about that. But the good news is, is that we're still bites. Um, yeah. So like, it's not going to go, it's not going to go exactly according to plan, you know, um, <laughs> all the time, but it's also what, what one creates like a story. Um, it's also what it eventually becomes like very unique to the brand too. You know, it's like, Hey, like, we don't, we didn't mean to do that, but like, it's the best thing that's ever happened. So don't be too discouraged by things not happening or going the way that you would hope them to go Yeah, because it's sometimes the best, you know, the best gift. Absolutely. Check. <laughs> Check. Um, but let's see if there's anything else. Oh, I want to really ch- chat really quickly <clears throat> and then we'll kind of wrap it. But, um, I do want to talk about kind of like our experience so far on the social media side and kind of our goals on how we want to work, um, what we're, what we've been inspired to build, you know, as we've worked through, um, the social media giant of things and how it is, it plays a a significant role, but like that there's also like a lot, you know, left to be, um, desired in that area. If you want to start with that, I'm going to move Chuck. Out of my lap. <laughs> well, I think one of the most interesting things that we've experienced is um, we created our website on the Shopify platform, and it's been um, it's been so interesting to see how social media can really dictate how you sell your product. So, if, like for instance, we didn't have enough engagement on our Facebook page to dictate us being able to sell on the Instagram and Facebook platform through Shopify initially. And so it's just, it's really, there's a lot of intricacies behind social media and there's so much behind engagement and a lot of brands. And I know you have more insight into this, but a lot of brands buy their engagement. So when you see a post on there, you're like, Oh my gosh, 10,000 people liked this. Well, a lot of times they're buying that engagement. It's not true engagement. It's not organic. 
And so I think for us, it's been an interesting, you know, in true savage fashion, we're going to be organic. (laughs) I think you have, you have two great pieces of apparel. You have a sweatshirt that said savage, and then you have a hat that says be organic. And that's like who we are. Like we're going to do things the hard way and like really earn the engagement and really like know that when we're posting something, we're talking to our people. We're not talking to some robots or whoever the heck they are. I don't even know. I don't understand mm-hmm. social media, but <laughs> I sometimes try, but I, most of the times just don't. Um, but you can be rest assured that if, if we're putting out some content or if, if you see engagement, it's us, it's us talking to our real people. Um, because that has been such a, that's been such a, an interesting navigation, um, in all of this. And you've kind of taken the lead on the social media side, but it's, um, it's something that's been really interesting for us, I would say. Yeah. I mean, social media is not my favorite. Megan knows this. Um, it's something that is like an Achilles heel. I feel like it's something that I just, it just feel it's never felt good. And yet that's the advice I consistently got, even in my own personal brand, like you gotta like, you know, get content, like get on social media. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I have to, you know, and I, and I honestly haven't had time to like even really devote to it. So, which is probably 90% true and 10% an excuse to like not do it. Um, but it is, it's like, it's where people are at. So like, I don't want to devalue it to the extent at which we just go, we're going to be like so savage that we're not even going to touch social media. I think that there's value in meeting people where they are. But like from like um, an engagement or an affiliate type relationship, which is, you know, the brands reach out to me to share their product on my page or whatever. And so I'm, I've been on the affiliate side, like the, you know, I don't know, like I'm not, but like influencer side and it just feel, it always feels so transactional and it just, and, and I get it. Like it's how things move right now. I have no judgment on it. Just personally, I'm like, mm, like it just, I don't want to like. I don't want to do it like that. So we're going to be building out like a different way to engage with people because we have a lot of friends who also don't really want to do social media or, you know, they're just busy. Like they're, you know, moms moving their kids around all of this and they don't have time to be like, Hey, let me talk about Savage on social media. But you know what they are doing is they're talking to like real people in real life. And so we actually want to build something that is a way of just re just saying thank you to like our friends and family um, and consumers um, who are buying their products, who share the most organic way to them and their lifestyle. It's not like, oh, so sorry, we would love for you to talk about Savage, but you only have like 200 followers. You know, we don't like, that's not, that's not our way. It's not, it's never been, never will be. Um, if somebody is very excited about Savage snacks, like we're going to pay them mm-hmm. be- just because it's a thank you. Not because it's like, some kind of, you know, like weird, like you do this and we'll do that. Like, but just, we have a high value for people who just share. They could be talking about anything. If they're talking about Savage Snacks to their friends, wow. Like, man, thank you. Like, thank you for doing that because that means a lot. Like your time and um, dedication to like what this brand is doing, you don't have to, and you do anyway. So we're going to pay you. And so we're going to build that out. And it's something that I hope that, you know, we can actually build out in a way that becomes a model that we can share with other brands and how to do it. Because I think there's a lot of real life action being missed um, in exchange for like digital action, which again, it's fine. But 
um, we like real, like we like real people and real conversations and, um, yeah. So we're going to figure out a way how to, you know, mix them all up together. So, yeah. Um, and then I think we're going to start doing, um, on this podcast platform, we're going to do savage segments where we're going to bring on some other savages and, and chat through, you know, their specialty, what they're doing, what, um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be food necessarily, just anybody that's kind of running along the same lines. Uh, um, so inspiring to hear some of the stories of people. And usually it's the people that you don't see on social media who are not actively engaged that are doing the most savage stuff because they're too busy to try to, you know, to do that. It's just, that's so, it's so time consuming. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to having this be a more regular thing. Megan and I co-hosting some savage segments and, um, you know, get some, some other people we can share about their brands, share about what they're building. And, um, we're going to, we're going to start talking about doing some, maybe some live Instagram, Instagram lives where we just kind of give, I don't know, we just, we'll do topic specific and maybe we'll talk about nutrition. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, working out. I don't know. We literally don't know. So, um, stay tuned for all that stuff. Is there anything that we missed Megan that you want to add in before we sign off? No, I think just thank you to all the people who have supported us along the way. I mean, it has been such a crazy long journey from go be happy to savage. I mean, just a big shout out to all the people who have supported us over the years. It's been just, we're so grateful and so thankful for you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And then everybody who's listening, um, we do have a video for this, um, in the show notes, I will put a link to where you can watch the video. Um, it's very unusual that I do videos because, um, well, so many different reasons, but we did a video this time. And, um, so if you want to watch featured in it, so if you want to see Chuck, Hey, yes, Chuck had the, um, he has like a cameo <clears throat> where he showed up, um, mm-hmm. a couple of times, but yeah, um, I'll put the link in the show notes. And, um, if you're listening, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for your support and, um, we'll be back again soon with another episode. And thanks so much. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Whole, Healthy, and Free. I will be back soon with another edition of the podcast. I invite you to check out my next episode once it becomes available on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Until then, stay focused, insist on the truth, and do not quit. You are so much stronger than you realize.